Chapter 20 The Hidden Day But of that day and hour no one knoweth, no, not the angels of God in heaven, but my Father only. Joseph Smith Translation, Matthew 24, verse 36 As with all information shared in this book, it is the author's hope, prayer, and intent that the reader will take the concept shared to the Lord and seek what he wishes the reader to learn from it. The information presented in this chapter may challenge traditional beliefs. The intention is to share an alternate viewpoint, which is well supported by understanding aspects of Jewish culture and of the appointed feast days. The months of the Jewish calendar all begin with the first sliver of light being seen following the new moon. The Jewish culture celebrates two New Year days. The one that begins in the spring is ecclesiastical. The other is civil and begins in the fall. The first represents a time of mercy, the other of justice. This is symbolic of sowing and reaping. Because the Jews count their time based on a lunar calendar, their months and feasts begin on different dates each year. All the Jewish months have special appointed meaning, and all of the holy days that are celebrated have a special significance in relation to the Messiah. In Leviticus 23, 2 and 4, we read, verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their season. The phrase appointed times refers to Genesis 1:14, wherein it says, And God said, Let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. The signs and seasons mentioned above refer to the Moedim. Simply put, the Moedim are appointed times or appointed feasts. I find it interesting that the primary purpose mentioned for lights in the firmament is for the signs and seasons. They are also to give light to the earth, but the main reason is for us to reckon God's time. The appointed feast days, the Moedim, that occur during the spring months are Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks. The Israelites are commanded to observe these feasts each year. Each of these feasts, the Savior perfectly fulfilled during his mortal ministry. Christ literally made himself the Passover offering. He is the unleavened bread in allowing us to get rid of our sin. He is the first fruit in the resurrection. And finally, he gave us the promise of the Holy Ghost with his ascension into heaven. The first spring of the new year begins in the month of Nisan. This falls in March or April. This is the month of Passover. It is a celebration of when God was merciful to the children of Israel and passed them over. This particular new year goes on for six months. The last month in this cycle is Elul, which means repentance. Every day during the month of Elul, the shofar or trumpet is blown, except for on the 30th day. The blowing of the shofar is a literal call to repent. They are called to repent because the following month is that of Tishri, which means redemption. This brings us to the fall feasts. These are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. 
During the Feast of Trumpets, the bridegroom returns and offers a covenant to his bride. The ten days that follow are called the Days of Awe. This is sometimes compared to the honeymoon of the bride and the bridegroom. She accepts the covenant and is offered a covering by the atonement made on her behalf. Ten days later, on the Day of Atonement, judgment is pronounced. Finally, we will come to the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is when the bridegroom takes up his abode with the worthy bride. What beautiful imagery we have to tell the story of Christ's return. His accepting us into the church of the firstborn and reigning as the King of Kings during the millennium. Israel has been commanded to keep all these holy feasts. First, in remembrance of what has already occurred, and second, in anticipation of what is to come. Yes, that means that Christ will literally come again and literally fulfill all of the fall feasts. The day that the king is said to return is Rosh Hashanah. This falls on the first day of the Feast of Trumpets, which is the holiest of all holy days for the Jewish people. This is the only feast day that is celebrated on a new moon. Two days are reserved for this feast because it is not certain on which day it will begin. It is dependent on when the new moon becomes visible. Once the moon's first light is seen, the shofar is blown again, as it is written in Psalm 81.3. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. This is also the day on which Joseph Smith went to the hill Cumorah and saw the gold plates. He returned to this place every year for four years until he finally received the plates on September 22, 1827. The ten days following Rosh Hashanah are called the Days of Awe. It is a time of deep introspection. This is the time of the honeymoon for the bride and the bridegroom, which is followed by a great wedding feast before they reunite before the world and take their proper place. It is a time to come to the Lord before her. he pronounces final judgment on Yom Kippur, which is also known as the Day of Atonement. I mentioned earlier that in the month of Elul, the shofar is blown each day except on the 30th day, the day immediately before Rosh Hashanah. This day is called Yom Hakish. Oh, Yom Hakesa. Kesa comes from the Hebrew word kasa, which means to hide, conceal, or cover. It is literally called the hidden day. The day is intentionally hidden, but from whom? That answer is easy. It is hidden from Satan. It is Jewish tradition that he is not to be given advance notice of when the Messiah will come again. Many things are hidden from Satan. For instance, he didn't realize that by tempting Eve, he was literally fulfilling the plan set forth by God. God's plan depended on mortality and the need of a Savior. Another thing hidden from Satan is that God had planned all along that the Savior should suffer and die. This is explained in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden mystery, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for they had known it. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, do I think that Satan doesn't know at this point that Yom Hakesa is meant to conceal the day the king will return? No, some things are literal and some things figurative. Some things are both. Psalms 81.3 
Verse 3, sound the shofar on the new moon in concealment of the day of our festival. In studying the hidden day, we can apply the knowledge to the timing of the second coming. In pondering when the Lord will return to us, we should read from Matthew 24:36, which says, but, the, but of that day and hour no man knoweth. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We are generally taught that this means we cannot know the exact time of the coming of the Lord. This is true. That exact date is hidden to us, as it is to Satan. However, we cannot take this verse as at face value. We must look deeper into the Hebrew writing from which it came. In his book, Signs in the Heavens, by Avi Ben Mordecai, he spends an entire chapter explaining what the phrase, no man knows, the day and hour actually means from a rabbinical, rabbinical Hebraic perspective. To the Hebrews, it is a figure of speech. It refers to a specific Jewish festival. And according to the Hebrews, Jesus Christ was literally telling them exactly when he was coming. This is an excellent resource to explain this in much greater detail. I'd like to suggest and invite you to consider and pray that according to the scriptures, the perfect calendar and timetable of Heavenly Father and according to the understanding of these those people to whom Christ himself addressed in the scripture, that this is more likely a declaration of the timing of the coming of the Lord. We know the time. Traditionally, it is said, the bridegroom comes to get his bride at midnight, as we glean from Matthew 25, 6. Verse 6, and at the midnight, and at midnight there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. We also know the day as Psalm 81, 3 tells us. Verse 3, Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. I believe the Savior was telling us the day, Rosh Hashanah, and the time, midnight, of his return. The trump will sound and he will descend. We do not know everything yet. The main thing we do not know is the specific year in which that would be. We must still pay attention to the season in which we are in, and surely we are in the last days. This is where we must be watchers. We must actively study the doctrines which will guide us in acquiring our final exaltation. For some of us, there are greater callings in store. In further chapters, we will explore those greater callings and how we can be found worthy of receiving them. For now, I know I want to be there to rejoice at the second coming. Let's conclude this chapter by reading 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord.